0: All right, so we're in Revelation chapter 6. Uh, I, I hope you're, I hope you're uh, bolted to your chairs. This is good stuff to, this morning. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by word of, God. word of God. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you, Lord. You are a great and an awesome God. We ask now, as we go to your Word, that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Lord, give us ears to hear what your Spirit would say to us. And we pray for anybody who's new here today that they would feel welcomed and loved that we've already adopted them, we're all part of your family because we have you in common. I pray also, Lord, if anybody here doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation. That when an opportunity is given, they would surrender their lives to you. So Lord, we love you, we praise you, we worship you. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said. So revelation quickly. We know that revelation is the unveiling of Jesus Christ. So what the book of Revelation does is it helps us know our savior better. To know him better is to love him more. In chapter one, we saw a picture of Jesus in heaven. Chapter two and three is the church age. So we saw the letters to the seven churches. And again, that's where we are now. We're in that church age. Chapter four, at the beginning of it, John is called up. Now, some people would disagree on their position on end times. And we can do that because we are all, it's not an issue of salvation, But I believe very clearly, Pastor Dave's opinion, that we will all be gone before the tribulation starts. And I think after you read chapter six today, you're gonna say, I hope so too. Can I get an amen to that? (laughs) So what happens is you see the snatching away of John, and what happens at the beginning of chapter four, verse one, there's a word harpazo, which in Latin is rapturo, and which is where we get the term rapture. And he snatched away, and from chapter four all the way through the end of the book, to chapter 19, you don't see the church mentioned again. It's mentioned 19 times in the first three chapters and never again in the book of Revelation until we come back with the Lord. So chapter four and five, we had a picture of heaven. Now, what's the focus of heaven if you've been coming? What was it? The thr- I'm glad three people were listening. <laughs> the focus of heaven is not the streets of gold. It's not the pearly gates. It's the one who's on the throne. Amen. He is the reason that we're in heaven. He's the reason we live and move and breathe and our focus is on him. And if you'll remember, there was a bright white light coming from the throne. Again, the jasper stone. And again, that's a picture of, Jaffa, of his holiness. And then there was a, a red light that came from it, a picture of the shed blood of Jesus on the cross of Calvary. And then there was a rainbow surrounding the throne, which is a reminder that God is faithful to his promises. So now we come to chapter six. In chapter six, we're not looking at heaven anymore, or we're getting a heavenly perspective of what, happened when, what happens when God's righteous judgment comes upon the earth. So if you have your outline, grab it. Let's go through this. Tell the message, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. You ever heard of that before? There was a football team that named their, their guys the four horsemen. I said, I, you know, I think you might want to change that. But it, <laughs> not so much, bro. Um. And then I I wrote underneath it, God suffers long, but he won't suffer always. I want to make this really clear because this is going to be heavy stuff this morning. The Lord desires that none should perish, no, not one. He loves you so much he'd rather die than live without you, and he proved it on the cross of Calvary. He offers salvation universally, but it must be accepted individually. So while God loves you and wants to have a relationship with you, he will not force that upon you. Every one of us must accept or reject the cross of Calvary, the greatest work of act of love in all of human history. So he offers it to you universally, but you must accept it individually. Now, what we're going to see this morning, and we talked about this, that while God's grace is spoken of about in, in scripture, and praise God for it, for his redemption, his faithfulness, all those things, but the number one thing that is spoken about our God is his holiness. He is a holy God. And a, holy and a holy and perfect God, we cannot have one sin in, pr- in heaven and we'd have earth part two. Amen? So we're, how many sinners we got in the room? Hands on up. Liar too. Amen. <laughs> so we're all sinners. There can't be one sin in heaven. So we've got a problem. But while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And now we're going to see what's going to happen to those after the church has been raptured away, we're going to see the righteous judgment of God that comes upon the earth. And some would say, why would God bring so much judgment? Because all this judgment is still one more chance for people to get saved. And during the great tribulation, millions will get saved, but for them, it will cost them their life. So here's the points we're going to go through. I tell the message again, uh, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, God suffers long, but he won't suffer always. we're going to see the righteous judgment of God reserved for those who have chosen to remain in rebellion and disobedience. Here's the reality. Either you can have fellowship or rebellion. Choose one. You cannot walk in intimate fellowship with God and shake your fist at God at the same time. Knowing about God is not enough. You need to have a relationship with him. Here's the four. We're going to just look at the first four of the seals. If you were here last week, they were crying out worthy as the lamb. Remember they had the scroll and nobody could open it, and they said, who can open it? And the Lord's going to be the one to open it. So he's going to start opening that scroll, the future events that will take place, and we will see what will happen when the judgment of God is poured out upon the earth. So number one, we're going to see the white horse, and that's the horse of deception. We'll talk about that in a moment as well. God gives them what they want. People say this all the time, why won't God give me what I want? How many of you are really thankful that he didn't give you everything you wanted in your life? Because a lot of times, what we want—not good. I don't want what I want. I want what he wants because I'm an idiot compared to God. Can I get an amen to that? God knows what's best for us, and we should want what God has for us. You know, His kingdom come, His will be done, not my will. Amen. So one of the things the enemy does is he deceives us. We know that Satan is a father of lies. He seeks to steal, kill, and destroy, and. It's Palm Sunday today. I'm not doing a Palm Sunday message. I battled with that. I just thought this was important. And, but the Lord came in on the back of a colt, a donkey, comes in, in bringing peace. And what did the people in, in Rome, in Jerusalem, all around them want, the Roman Empire, what did they want? They wanted a God who would overthrow the Romans and establish himself as king and give them what they wanted on earth. And they were singing, save now, we pray you on Sunday. And by Thursday, they were crying out, crucify him. Why? Because they wanted a God who would give them stuff here and now. And he didn't come to save us from the world. I mean, to make us like the world and give us the best life here. He came to redeem us. So we got to eternity in heaven. Amen. He didn't come to be an earthly king, but almighty God, the king of kings and the Lord of lords for all eternity. Well, God, this is the same thing that's going to be taking place here, because this time there's going to be someone come along, the Antichrist, it means in place of Christ, who does just what the people in Jerusalem wanted 2,000 years ago. They wanted a king that would come in and bring peace. They wanted a king that would come in and give them all they wanted, and he's going to deceive them. He's going to be handsome. He's going to be charismatic, and he's going to literally get all the nations of the world to surrender and submit to him, including Israel, who is going to make a covenant with for seven years. So first it starts off with deception. It's a false peace. God gives them what they want. Here, you want this as a king? Go ahead. Number two, the second seal is a red horse, and this is war. See, when, when, there's, when you're trying to make peace your own way, it's not going to work, and then the end result ends up being war. And that's exactly what will take place during the Great Tribulation. There will be a brief time of peace, but before it's over, there will be an all-out war and again, it will be more violent than anything we've ever seen. The third horse that we will see, the third seal, is famine. You ever heard that term, a wheelbarrow full of money for a loaf of bread? You ever heard that before? They talk about that, right, later on in the book of Revelation. We're going to see the beginning of that in, tonight, in this morning's text, where literally it's going to take a day's wages to buy a dinner roll. It's how it's described, like a little piece of bread. And you're going to have to work all day, to to buy a roll. And so what's going to happen is your family's going to starve. There's going to be famine. And this is one of the reasons why the Antichrist, again, will be able to draw people into himself because people are going to be desperate. And then finally, the pale horse and its death. And when we get to this text, this is heavy, you guys. One fourth of the world's population dies during the fourth seal. And in today's population, that is 2 billion people that is more people than all of South America and North America and all of Europe combined, all dying. Now, again, when we read this, some people read this and go, man, God's a mean God. Look, he suffers long. He desires that none should perish. And only those who go over the cross of Calvary and reject Jesus Christ will spend eternity separated from him. He doesn't want any of us to face his righteous judgment, but because he is a holy God, he must judge sin. Amen? He cannot have sin in his presence, again, because he's holy and perfect. He wants us in his presence. That's why he sent his son to suffer and die. So let's begin there. Some of you are like, I chose this week to come to church? Okay. <laughs> Thought we were going to have a little Palm Sun. Maybe the kids would be up here singing a song. I didn't think we were doing this. <laughs> right? Now, in Matthew 24, before we get to the text, in the Olivet Discourse, on the Mount of Olives, Jesus is speaking. He's teaching his disciples. And they asked him, disciples said, what will it be as the sign of the coming of the end of the age? What's it going to be like toward the end of the age? Here's what he said. And Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no one deceives you for many will come in my name saying that I am the Christ and deceive many. There's the first seal of deception, right? Secondly, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars second seal. It's right here in the text. This is back in Matthew. He said this, see that you are not troubled for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Then he says, continuing in the Matthew 24, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines. There's the third seal and pestilences on the earth and earthquakes in various places. And that's the fourth seal. And all these are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Now, these are the people that get saved during the great tribulation. Many will, but virtually most of them, when they give their life to the Lord during the great tribulation, they will be put to death. It's where you talk about the mark of the beast, and they have to have it on their wrist or their forehead, or they can't buy and sell. Um, boy, we got close to that during COVID, didn't we? Oh, you got to have a vaccine. You can't go buy groceries, and that's, you know, right? And guess what? Covid's nothing compared to what's coming, amen. And the reality is, did you see how how our world panicked over you know a kind of heavy duty flu? Can I get amen to that? Yeah. Imagine what it's going to be like when one hundred and twenty pound hailstones are falling from the sky. What's it going to be like when all the when the waters all turn bitter and a third of the ocean and the animals are dying? It's going to be full panic. And by the way, the thing's going to be the worst part about all of it is the Holy Spirit is gone and so is the church. And there's no remnant here anymore. And that's what's facing those who continue to reject the Lord. When we get to the end of the chapter, it's going to talk about cosmic disturbances. And we'll see that in two weeks, because next week we will do a message on Easter. Okay? So let's begin there in Revelation chapter six, beginning there at verse one. Looking first at the white horse, that first seal. And again, Jesus is going to break the scroll. Remember what the scroll is? Now, here's bonus points. Who remembers what the scroll is? It's what? Title deed to earth. There you go. Okay, the Lord. God bless those of you who listen. I love it. See, people say I'm repetitive. This is why I am repetitive. <laughs> I had a guy take me out to lunch. He goes, man, you repeat yourself a lot. And I go, what was the message about last Sunday? <laughs> I'm not repeating myself enough. Can I get an into that? <laughs> it's killing me. I was a youth pastor for a long time. My dad used to say, keep the cookies on the bottom shelf so everybody can reach them." What that means is teach in a way that a, you know, someone who's in first grade can understand. Hopefully the rest of us will get it. Can I get him into that? <laughs> All right. So he's going to take possession of, he's the only one that could take possession of the earth. He's the one who's coming back. We talked about Jeremiah last week, how when God told Jeremiah, when, when Bab- the Babylonians were overrunning Jerusalem to buy this property from his as a kinsman, redeemer, and it didn't make any sense, but he was letting Jeremiah know you can buy this property, even though it's all gonna be destroyed, because I'm coming back, because you're all gonna come back to, to Israel. And guess what? The Lord's coming back. Can I get amen to that? He's the king of kings, the Lord of Lords, and he's in control. So let's look there at the white horse again. God gives them what they want: a false peace. Says there in verse one. Now I saw when the the lamb opened one of the seals. This is John talking and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like this like like thunder come and see. So if you remember last week there are angels right and there's four living creatures filled with eyes and horns, right? We talked about how horns in the Bible represents power. Eyes represents knowledge, seeing everything. So these angels are around the throne. There's, there's a 24 elders around the throne. They're all worshiping the Lord. And John is there witnessing this, right, from a heavenly perspective. And then he sees the scroll, and now Jesus opens the scroll. And then he hears a thunderous voice saying, Come and see what's going to happen when the scroll is opened. Now, the lamb that opens it, who's the lamb? Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Amen. That's how His ministry began. The only one who was worthy to take the scroll from the right hand of the Father and to open it. The one who was slain to redeem sinful man, and the only one who will bear wounds in heaven. You know, when we get to heaven, none of us will all have new bodies. Who can say amen to that? I'm gonna have hair in heaven. I'm kind of excited about that. But the reality is, but the reality is, I can't. I'm looking forward to heaven. We're gonna have new bodies. You know, bodies that don't wear out, I don't think we'll be sleeping in heaven. Some of you are already bummed about that because you love naps. But here's the reality. We won't get tired in heaven, we can, and there'll be feasts in heaven, no cholesterol. Thank you, Jesus, right? But the reality is that when we get to heaven, we're going to have new bodies, and there will be no scars in heaven except for the scars in our Savior's hands. And up from the crown of thorns and in His feet, it's going to be a reminder to us for all eternity, the depths of His love for us. Amen? The sacrifice that was paid to begin to take possession by bringing judgment upon those who refuse to repent. He's the one who went to the cross, who was willing to die that we might have eternal life. And so John gives John, who's a picture of the church, right? He's been snatched away, and he's watching this not from down here, but from a heavenly perspective. And I believe it's very clear from Scripture that we will be in heaven we'll be watching it. There will be Christians on the earth because those are going to be people that get saved during the tribulation and God is going to use them. So this loud and thunderous voice cries out to John, come and see, to see what happens to the earth when the first seal is broken and the scroll is open just a little bit. This is the official beginning of the seven year tribulation known as the great tribulation. Verse two says, and I looked and behold a white horse who sat and he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. Now, if you just read that, if you just read that, you might think that's Jesus. Why? Because when you get to the end of Revelation, Jesus comes riding back on what? A white horse. But when you take a look at what this guy and this white horse is doing, and we see a little more about him, clearly it's not the Lord. It's the one who is a, uh, again, it's a picture of the Antichrist. So some who, again, after all, only the, don't only the good guys wore horse, uh, ride white horses? We don't take our theology from Westerns. Can I get an amen to that? <laughs> we don't do it from cowboy movies, right? <laughs> we read the word. So Jesus does return on a white horse. Let me read this to you quickly. In Revelation 19, he says, And I saw heaven open to behold a white horse, and he who sat on it was called Faithful and True. And it righteousness as he did judge and make war. His eyes were like the flame of fire and on his head were many crowns and he had the name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vestiger dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God. Now that's Jesus, amen? This guy's not called the word of God. He's not dripping in blood, right? He's not the king of kings. The only thing the writer in verse two and Jesus have in common is the color of their horse and nothing else. This writer is not the Christ, but is the beast. He's the imitator of Christ. He's the Antichrist. He comes with a bow. Jesus is coming with a sword. And again, the Antichrist, again, Satan's great imitation will deceive many. He has a bow, but no arrows. What literally means that he comes with a promise, but he can't fulfill it. He's going to be able to do some things that are going to draw all the world into himself, but after three and a half years, we'll see this when we get to Daniel. By the way, I've told everybody that when we get, usually when I get done with Revelation, I go back to Matthew, we're going to go to Daniel next. And the reason that we are is it ties so heavily into the book of Revelation. So we'll be doing that in a few months when we finish Revelation. So this future world dictator is going to begin his career, we know from from Daniel chapter nine, as a peacemaker. He's going to bring temporary peace. It's going to be a mess. The only way you can bring the whole world together, if there's famine on the earth, there's a huge mess, there's pestilence, there's all this panic, somebody's going to come along with an answer. He's going to be a charismatic guy. By the way, the Antichrist must come out, come out of the old Roman Empire. We have the 10 nations of the European economic community. People come to me and go, you know, this guy's a Satan, this guy's the guy. People thought it was Ronald Reagan because he had six letters in all three of his names or something like that. No, it's not Ronald Reagan, but he's in heaven now. Can I get him into that? But people are, by the way, we don't need to look for the Antichrist. We just need to look for Christ because we're going home before the Antichrist gets here. Can I get an into that? So don't look for the Antichrist. We're trying to predict who it is. Just keep looking up to heaven and waiting for Jesus. Amen? Now notice it says here, of this man, and a crown was given to him. While both Christ and the rider on this horse have crowns, they're two different crowns. The crown that Jesus wore is called a diadem. And it's a crown that only God wears. And it and the antichrist will come as one who brings peace and the and the, the name of his crown there is a Stephanos. The Stephanos is something you win in a battle or you know you run a race and you win a Stephanos crown. So he's got a crown that's placed on him by men, not one that's placed on him by God. Amen. So he's got a crown on his head. He looks you know he looks apart. King Saul, right? You guys remember King Saul? David was the king already anointed by God, but he was a short little ruddy guy that watched sheep. King Saul was probably 6'7", six, 6'8". Six, he was taller than everybody else. He was handsome, and everybody wanted him instead. And, you know, the Bible said that's where the verse says, man looks on the outward appearance and God looks on the heart. Well, this guy's going to be Saul times 10. He's going to be Rico Suave, man. He's going to have it going on. He's going to be good-looking dude. He's going to be charismatic. He's probably going to have a big podcast and all this stuff, right? And all these people are going to be following him, and he's going to draw people into himself. And when we're all gone and the Holy Spirit's not here and there's no discernment, they're going to flock to this guy like crazy. And in the beginning, he's going to look good, just like King Saul won his first few battles. And then we found out, right? And the same is going to happen with the Antichrist. The sad thing is, people will only fall for the, the counterfeit because they don't know the, the truth. Amen? And he's going to go out and conquer. He will rule over the world. He will establish his rule without war of any type or, or any time of military pressure. Uh, amazingly, this beast will be given complete charge over every nation upon the earth. Sovereign nations joining with others and giving away their complete control. I'm not a big conspiracy theorist, guy. I'm just not. I think the Bible's plenty. But I don't know if you've seen it this week. They're talking about moving all of our money to digital currency. And the reason that they want to do that is then you can't have your money anywhere else but in the control of the government. And then they're in charge of everything. And again, I don't panic and I don't worry. God's not giving us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. And here's the reality. They can have all my money. I got Jesus and that's all I need. Can I get him into that? We don't need to worry about that stuff, all right? I have people calling me, did you hear about the digital currency? Bro, ben, are you ready? Are you looking up? You ready to be raptured? And then you ain't got nothing to worry about. Amen? Amen? Yeah. Don't need to panic. God is in control and he's faithful. So he's going to establish his rule. And, and what's amazing is he's going to get Israel to align with all their enemies. Who thought that would ever happen? And again, it's in Daniel 7. I was going to read it to you, but Uh, Daniel 7 and Daniel 9, for the sake of time I won't, but basically it just talks about how he's going to draw these warring nations together and it's going to look like the whole world is at peace and we're all singing kumbaya, we're all on the same side and we're all in it together and he's going to do all of that before he lowers the hammer on all of them. And that's why uh, peace from the world's perspective is not something we can trust in, amen? So the Jews today, what are they looking for? They're looking for the Messiah, and they're going to get duped by the false Messiah. Most of you know we used to meet in a synagogue in Calabasas, and I love that. And the reason I went to Calabasas is I wanted to go to a city where nobody wanted to plant a church, and Calabasas is hugely Jewish. By the way, we love the Jews. Can I get any amen of that? Yes. This is a Jewish book written about a Jewish savior by a bunch of Jewish people, so praise the Lord for that. Amen. And so the rabbi would always say to me, "Well, I can't really, you know, I'm a Jew." And I said, "Well, so's my Savior. So come on over, bro. There's room. <laughs> Amen." And I would talk to the rabbi all the time. And the sad part was that they have no hope. I said, "What happens when you die?" He's like, "Oh, well, you know, we really don't know. Really? You're the rabbi, bro. You're supposed to be teaching these people. What do you mean you don't know? Well, some of us believe in reincarnation. Some of us think we're just going to die and go into the ground. Why are you having synagogue if that's the case? Just go out and eat." popcorn. I don't know, right? I don't get it. Call the Elks Club. Put a horn on the wall. It doesn't make any difference. Guys, here's the reality. We don't come here because this is just a social group. We're coming here to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And everybody in this building that's given life to Jesus Christ, blood is thicker than water, but the Holy Spirit's thicker than blood. We've got Jesus in common. When you have Jesus in common, you got everything in common. Amen? Amen. And we have a common peace. Amen. And that's the God that we serve but the Antichrist is going to come and dupe many, and they're going to run after this guy because they're looking for an answer. He's going to make a seven-year covenant with Israel, and the Antichrist coincides again with the time of the Great Tribulation. You know, at today's current political and social scene, our lost world is ripe for the emergence of a leader who will bring peace among all the nations. Ripe. Our world is a mess When you are more concerned about misgendering a mass murderer than the children who got killed, something's wrong. Amen. Amen? Amen? Now, the good news is those little absent from the body present with the Lord in heaven's better. Amen? So all that waits for the Lord to allow it is after he takes the church away. The reason that there's even in our country or in our state, California, did California need Jesus? What's the answer? <laughs> Quit moving to Texas. <laughs> Arkansas, <laughs> Tennessee, <laughs> Idaho, Arizona. Now, if God calls you to go, go with our blessing and we will pray you out in <laughs> Jesus' name because we love you. But this is a mission field. And California needs Jesus. And unless the Lord wakes me up and writes it on the wall, I'm going to teach in this state until I go to heaven. Amen? Amen. By the way, I know most of you know this, but after 35 years, last Friday was my last day, and I'm full-time serving this church, which means I have more time to love on you guys. So praise the Lord. And I'm, I'm, I'm humbled by that, by the way. 2 Thessalonians 6 says this, And now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of the lawlessness is already at work. Only he who restrains will, be, will do so until he is taken out of the way. The one who restrains is the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit is taken out of the way, the world's going to be a mess. And so this first horse that comes along, again, the Holy Spirit is the one who restrains it, and when the Holy Spirit is gone, and then, then there will be, again, the Antichrist will be revealed, and we need not look again for him, just keep looking up unto heaven. It is the rapture of the church and the ensuing chaos that will set the stage for the rise of the Antichrist. While he will appear to be the answer for what ails the world in complete turmoil, it, will, it won't take long for his true colors to show. And Paul's letters to the church in Thessalonica reveals that three and a half years in, he's going to reveal himself for who he is. It's called the abomination of desolation. He's going to go into the, the then rebuilt temple. By the way, we're going to Israel in January. We've got, a little, a little, we've got about between the four churches, about 70 people going. We'd love for you to go with us. Uh, get signed up because we're running out of room. We'd love for you to go. But when we go, you'll see that on the Temple Mount, there's a perfect spot for the temple to go. And some believe the temple will start to be be being built before the rapture of the church. Many believe that it will get built after the church is gone and it will take place during this peace treaty. And that's the way that he'll be able to reach out to Israel and say, we're going to rebuild your temple. And by the way, do you know they have all the furniture for the temple? They just need the permission to start rebuilding it. So they're ready for this. And we don't know the day or the hour, right? But we can know the season. And guess what? It's rapture season. Amen? So the Jews will realize after three and a half years, they've been deceived. And Jesus said in all of that discourse, again, that's when they will see, when you see this abomination, it says, run for your lives. The people that are alive when the three and a half years into the tribulation, after some of this stuff's already taken place, are going to be running for their lives and hiding. And there's going to be, and instead of running to the Lord, they're going to run and hide in caves and in the ground. Why? Because of their fear. Guys, we don't have to worry about any of that. I'm so thankful. Amen. His armies under his control in submission to Satan will attack and kill as many as two-thirds of the Jews that remain on the earth after the abomination of desolation. He'll make a covenant with them only to seek to destroy them. And that's what Satan does. Let me just say this about Satan. He hates you. And he wants you dead. Satan loves mass shootings. Satan loves abortion. Satan loves murder. And Satan loves it when he can deceive anybody or distract anybody from the truth, because his whole desire is to drag you into hell with him for all eternity, all the new people are like, right, "We could have gone to the other church down the street." <laughs> <laughs> Satan promises great things. When he whispers in your ear to sin, he doesn't say, "Do this, you'll end up in jail." He doesn't do that. You're gonna be puking in the morning. It's gonna destroy your marriage you'll break your relationship with God. He'll say things like, you can do this and God will forgive you. Anybody ever hear that besides me? You can do this. God will forgive you. He's forgiving God. He's forgiven you before. You can do it again. You know, But he doesn't talk about the consequences that come. And that's just like the Antichrist, promising great things, but delivering only destruction. And again, I would encourage you later, read Daniel 7 verses 15 to 28. It really breaks this down in a deeper way. For the sake of time, I can't do that right now. So gaining rule peacefully of 10 nations formed together in the former Roman empire. And that's where it talks about it in Daniel and will become the king of the world. And the world will surrender itself to the beast. And the end result will be the justice, righteous justice of God. And praise God will be in heaven and we won't have to deal with any of this. Amen? Amen. So praise the Lord for that. So point number one there, we see the white horse of deception. So here's going to be the Antichrist. He's going to deceive the world. They're all going to think he's the answer. And by the way, if you're looking for answers anywhere else, you will never find it anywhere but in Jesus. Amen? God, you know, there's a term that we have a God-shaped vacuum. That God, and you can fill it with money, sex, drugs, possessions, power, followers on TikTok, whatever you want, right? <laughs> whatever that thing is that you think is going to make you happy and your flesh will never be satisfied. Because you were not created to find satisfaction in the world. The only place you're going to find satisfaction is in Jesus Christ. He created you to have a relationship with Him. And apart from Him, there is no hope. So point number one there, deception. Uh, God gives them what they want. It's a false peace. He gives them a ruler that they want. The second one is the red horse. And again, this is a horse of war. Look at verse 3. When He opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come and see. Another horse, fiery red, went out and was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth and that people should kill one another. And there there was given to him a great sword. The word fiery red there is literally the color of blood. So a, a blood colored horse comes writing down. And upon that seal, upon that judgment that comes, he was granted to take peace from the earth. God allows this writer to take action, which is the righteous judgment of God. Now, the good news is that even in the midst of mayhem, God is in control. Amen? Amen? Amen. So don't panic when, when the world's a mess. Just know that God's in control. And if some things are allowed to take place, God is allowing that the more people might be drawn into him. One of the toughest prayers I prayed as a dad, and I, had, I prayed it quite a bit for, you know, I had some, my three boys were going through some difficult times. And here's what I would pray. Lord, do whatever it takes to bring them back to you. Amen. Whatever it takes. They need to go to prison, let's go to prison. They need to go to the hospital, go to the hospital. They need to, whatever it takes, Lord, whatever, do whatever is necessary because the end result is what matters. I want them with you, Amen. Well, I'm an imperfect dad, and I prayed that. Almighty God is doing that here. He's bringing what is necessary, hopefully, to get people to recognize that their way is not working, that the judgment of God is coming, to get them to realize and look up and cry out, and many will be saved during this time. We know there's going to be 144,000 witnesses, 12,000 of each of the 12 tribes of Israel. There's going to be revival amongst the Jews, Amen. And praise God for that. They're God's chosen people, and we know God's going to do great and awesome things in the midst of it. But it's going to be with a great cost. So He's bringing this judgment, so that hopefully the Bible says of the people that He knows, His children. He says, "Those who the Lord loves, He what? Yeah. He disciplines us. What? Same reason I discipline my kids. Why? Because He wants to draw us back into Himself. Right." The law of God and the word of God is not a fence to keep you out of Disneyland. It's a guardrail to keep you from driving off a cliff. Amen. God gives you the law not to keep you from fun, but to keep you from harm. But in this case, he's bringing righteous judgment because judgment is upon all those who have been rebelling against God, cursing God, shaking their fist at God, wanting nothing to do with God. And the judgment is to give them an opportunity to recognize that he's all knowing and all powerful and it's time to repent. Amen. Sadly, most won't, but many will. Peace between men and nations is a gift from God. It is not the natural stage of relations between men. And men left to themselves in their sinful nature are prideful, angry, uh, envious, and, and, and have hatred. People say, men are inherently good. No, they're not. Amen? Amen? Who would you be if you didn't have the Holy Spirit? I mean, you still mess up with the Holy Spirit. Who would you be without the Holy Spirit? What would your life look like? Imagine if the Holy Spirit was removed from the earth. Well, that's what's going to take place, and there's going to be wars. They're going to destroy each other. It goes all the way back to Cain and Abel. People like, I come from a dysfunctional family. They're all dysfunctional. <laughs> the first family, Cain killed Abel. Amen. We all come. From, it's not dysfunctional. It's sinful, and we all have sinful families. Amen. Now. Don't use that as an excuse. So Cain was prideful, angry, and envious of his brothers and accepted his his accepted sacrifice. And he hated his brother so much that he killed him. In this verse here, where it talks about kill, the word there is to slay, to slaughter, or to butcher. I'm being real direct because the Bible's real direct here. It's saying, look, they're going to come and start slaying each other and killing each other. People are going to be slaughtering each other. There's no Holy Spirit anymore. There's There's nothing that holds anybody back from just being completely reckless. And that's going to be taking place upon the earth. Anybody want to be mid-trib? Nope. Okay, I am just checking. <laughs> just, just. I know we got a few of you in the room. You'll be really glad when we right. Can I get of that? <laughs> the writer, it says, takes peace. It influences men to brutally slaughter and, again, butcher one another. Satan seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. And the first writer has a bow without any arrows, and this writer has a great sword. And he is not hesitant to use it. Again, Satan loves mass murder. He loves to destroy. He loves when people die. So the peaceful methods of the Antichrist used to gain power quickly give way to worldwide bloodshed. It says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. The entire world slipping into war, violence, anarchy, and bloodshed It'll be survival of the fittest. It won't just be isolated incidents like we see today, but this will be a state of all human beings, violence, rioting, murder, the slaughter and butchery of one another. And this is the heart of man apart from God. It will be made evident again once the Holy Spirit is removed. I'm convinced that the world's even worse than the animal kingdom. Animals don't slaughter unborn babies. Amazing how that works, Amen. I just saw that there have been more uh, African-American children slaughtered in the state of New York than born. Why does that happen? There's a motivation behind all of this, you know, to kill and slaughter children. Now, here's the good news. Every aborted baby goes straight to heaven. Amen. Now, don't use that as a reason to do that. And if you've had abortions in your past, I want you to know that our God's a God of love and grace and mercy, and you can be forgiven. Amen? Amen. But going forward, and we support Ohana. Why? Because, again, they're helping protect babies. But this is the world we live in, where where human beings are of no value, and it's going to get markedly worse after the Holy Spirit is removed. In Jeremiah, the heart is deceitful above all things and is desperately wicked, God continually warns the children of Israel in the Old Testament, do not depart from me because if you depart from me, you have no idea what you are capable of. When you are driven by your flesh without the Holy Spirit, this world will become a savage and ungodly mess. So point number two there, the red horse, the horse of war. So there's going to be temporary peace they're gonna be deceived by the Antichrist. He's gonna draw them all into himself. He's gonna get nations to come and become a, you know, aligned with each other. The whole world's gonna be on one path with one world government, with one nation, you know, with one, one ruler. And then shortly after that, mayhem's gonna break out because the peace won't last without the Prince of Peace. Amen. Point number three: famine, the black horse, the third seal. And it says in verse five and six. It says, then he opened the third seal and I heard a third living creature say, come and see. So I looked, behold, a black horse and he was set on it, had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice from the midst of the living creature saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius and do not harm the oil or the wine. So the pair of scales or balances speaks of the need to carefully measure and ration out food. And what's going to happen, uh, a denarius was what they got paid for a full day's work. the full day's work of a laborer. So I don't know what that is today. I don't know what laborers make like on a construction crew, probably 25 bucks an hour, whatever they make. If you multiply that, that's a couple hundred bucks a day. And he's saying it's going to be a couple hundred dollars, a denarius, a day's wages to pay, and it talks about a loaf of bread. But if you look in the, it's not a loaf of bread like this. If you go look it up in the original language, it literally means there's enough flour to make a little tiny bit you know, a little roll in your hand. You're going to have to work all day to have enough money to pay for one roll. And the problem is, what about your wife and your kids? What about the people who are unable to work? Where does that happen? So you're going to see more violence and more war because people are starving. And when people are starving, they will do whatever is necessary to be fed. It speaks of a time of famine and scarcity. And there's a reason, you know, there's a reason why we pray over our meals, right? Some of you, that's your whole prayer life. I have a oatmeal prayer life, you know, that kind of thing. No, pray without ceasing, for this is the will of God. Amen. Make my father's house a house of, okay, we need to pray more. But you know, when we pray over our food, you know what we do? We're thanking God that he provided this for us because he provides our daily bread. Give us this day, our daily bread. And so whenever we have food on the table, we should be thanking God for it because no matter how hard we may have worked, God gave us the ability to work. And so he's the one that provided the food. So we thank him for it. Amen. So we thank the Lord for it. So when the Lord taught the disciples to pray, he included, again, give us this day, our daily bread. Because he is Jehovah Jireh, Lord God, our provider. And without his hand of blessing upon us, we would starve to death. And when the Holy Spirit is removed, when God raptures the bride, his bride into heaven, there will be not only a false Christ, but a false peace and war with human slaughter, but also famine in the land. And again, so how scarce will food be? A denarius, a full day's work, by the equivalent of a dinner roll. And then later we get in, into Revelation. talks about a world full of money for a loaf of bread. It's going to get to a point where, and see, uh, you know, how many guys have been in the grocery store lately? Price is going up, amen? It's still nothing compared to what's coming. Amen? By the way, if you go to church here and you're struggling financially and you can't feed your family, you let us know and we will make sure you're taken care of, amen? That's how the body of Christ should work. So today's wages, again, we'd see that they'd have to work a full day and we see that it's so scarce. And it says, and do not harm the oil and the wine. You know What, what good is oil and wine when they don't have food? What good is that when you don't have anything to eat? You need, there needs to be food. There needs to be sustenance. Everyone will struggle for just the basics needed to survive. And again, some will get saved during this great tribulation. They're going to be in a place of famine. They're going to look up often, again, we've got to come to the end of ourselves where we know we can't fix it, that people cry out to God. I shared this with you before. I had a good friend that would say, I only pray when I'm in a really tough spot. And there's a lot of people like that. Most, you know, i worked for the same company for 35 years until this last week, and they all knew, They all call me Pastor David Work because I'm, I'm not shy about my faith, and I'm, I'm sure that shocks most of you. But here's the reality is, <laughs> that some of the same people that will mock me when something's difficult will come and ask for prayer. You know, the guy, the guy that's, the, that's an atheist who cusses around me and mocks God when his dad has cancer is at my desk saying, you know, can you pray? And that's okay. That's good. Amen. We want to, be able, we want to pray for them. Amen. We want to be available to do that. But what I'm saying is that sometimes it takes that tragedy to get people to, to, drop, to drop to their knees. Amen. And so during the great tribulation, this tragedy, while some will continue to fight God and most will, and the wars will be taking place, is gonna get a lot of people to go, you know what? We need to cry out to God. This is a time when we need to pray. I have a Jewish coworker that when I first moved into the office, we were sitting near each other. He, he got, I've been there 35 years, he'd been there, you know, a week. He gets in and he sees all my Christian stuff on my cubicle, and he's like, You gotta take that down, man. Separation church and state, bro, you gotta take that down. <laughs> one of my buddies who played for the Niners, the guy looks like a Coke machine, big dude, right? He comes around, he comes around the cubicle and goes, dude, that's Pastor Dave, bro. He ain't taking that stuff down. He he ain't taking that stuff down. But what happened over time with this guy, we would go to lunch and he would start to, he would tell me, don't talk about the Bible. Don't talk to me about it. I don't want to hear about it. And after a while, he's like, well, tell me what you're teaching this week. And he goes, okay, so wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So like, if you disappear one day, and they named all the other Christians in the office, Dave Belagamba, if you guys all disappear one day, I got seven years to get right. I said, bro, it's better to get right and skip those seven years. (laughs) I got to get an amen to that. (laughs) It's better. It's far better. And I said, and by the way, you can get hit by a bus today. And you won't have an opportunity to get right with God. By the way, our, our website is rapture-proof. We've got it where it's going to run on its own after we're all in heaven because I don't want any of you taking care of it because you shouldn't be here. Can I get any of that? <laughs> the ungodly who never thanked God for provision and then used energy to do what was evil and God is going to take away the very thing that they did not thank him for. They're not going to have food to eat. It's going to be a desperate time but again, hopefully it'll get people to look up. Finally, the last horse, the pale horse, the horse of death. Notice what it says there in verse seven and eight. And when I opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, come and see. So I looked and behold, a pale horse And the name of him who said it was death. And Hades followed with him. And the power was given them over one-fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. The word pale there in Greek is greenish yellow. It's the color of a corpse. So the color of the horse is going to be a color of the corpse. And when it comes down, it's going to bring judgment. It's going to bring death. The pale horse's rider is death. And this seal speaks of death like no no other time in human history. The last of the four horsemen, the apocalypse, shows us that there will be tremendous death toll from the deception, the war and the famine and the other calamities described by the previous three horsemen and disease as described by Christ. In the past century, we have seen hundreds of millions killed by dictators and war and famine and disease. Yet this will those pale in comparison to what's coming. Two billion people dying when this fourth seal is opened. People panic when, you know, look, the World Trade Center was tragic. A couple thousand people died. Two billion people are going to die. And sadly, many, if not most of them, will spend eternity separated from God. Because as bad as anything on this planet can be, it's nothing compared to eternity separated from the Lord in a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Can I get an amen to that? We don't want, you know, Lord, help I'm so burdened. This week as I was reading through this and studying this, I would just grip for everyone in this room. I, I pray there's not one of you that doesn't know the Lord. Amen? My prayer here, if you're here today and somebody brought you and you thought, man, these, what are they talking about? Dude, I'm, I don't like this, right? God has you here by divine appointment. Don't leave here without the Lord. Amen? So death rides along killing people. Hades comes from behind collecting the souls of the dead. Death claims the body and hell claims the soul. No wonder Jesus said, for then there will be great tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the world until the time nor shall there ever be. This is as bad as it's ever going to get. So tragic again that 2 billion people will, will die. Far more tragic than the painful deaths of the bodies is the eternal state of the soul. A lot of people think when they die they're escaping the pain and the reality is if you don't know the lord when you die the pain is getting turned up a thousand times over amen i get calls from suicide hotlines from time to time and i had one where a guy had visited our church in santa cruz he was standing on the cliff and he was getting ready to jump and the person you wanted to talk to was me, and I was working my job, and I get a call as I'm getting ready to go into a sales call, and they're like, we've got a guy in a suicide hotline, he's on the cliffs in Santa Cruz, He's gonna. He just. and he only wants to talk to you. And his name is this, and I didn't know who he was. I had no idea. And I felt horrible. So he answer, he gets on the phone, and I'm, try, I'm not trying to lie to him, but I'm not trying to act like I didn't remember him either. And I'm like, bro, what's going on? And he had PTSD from being in the Middle East. And and he was weeping on the phone. He said, "I just want to, I want to get rid of all this pain." And I tried to encourage him, bro. The pain doesn't go away. When you when you die, if you don't know the Lord, the pain's gonna get worse. And I told him that the Lord loves him. And and finally, he goes, Pastor David, it's okay. I know you don't remember me. And I said, Well, bro, I'm I'm sorry because I hug everybody and I try to remember everybody. He goes, I only came to your church one time, on a Wednesday night, like eight months ago. And the reason I called you. You found me, you hugged me, you looked me in the eye, you told me that Jesus loves me, and so do you. And I, while I was talking to him, I clicked over to two of my assistant pastors, told them where he was, got them to go out there, and finally when they arrived, I said, turn around, Joe and Bill are there, they wanna help you. And you know what, that brother got plugged in, we got him help, he got plugged into the church, he's walking with Jesus today, amen? <laughs> but the But the point is this, Death is not the answer, especially if you don't know the Lord. Amen? And Satan will lie to you. He wants to destroy you. He wants to make you think that your life is of no value. Suffering like no time in human history. Think about this. Heat, darkness, torment, separation from God, a desire to die, but being unable to. What does that sound like? And that's going to be happening on earth. We'll see this in two weeks when we see all the calamities that come in the 5th, 6th, and 7th seal where there's heat, there's torment, there's pain, there's darkness. It's going to be just like hell on earth. And again, the hope is that people, and again, the desire is that people will repent. Notice it says killed by the beast of the earth. When there's no food supplies, if, if you have to have work a full day to, to buy a roll for your whole family, what's going to happen to the animals? Going to be starving. And starving animals, what are they going to do to get food if they have to? They're going to become like wild beasts going after people. This all will take place during the Great Tribulation. Nobody loves animals more than my wife. She loves animals like crazy. I'm like, we can't adopt everything. Can I get him into that? <laughs> we were at an alligator farm, and I took a picture of an alligator. And I put it on my Facebook page, and I said, finally, an animal my wife doesn't want to take home. (laughs) And we love animals. And the Bible says a righteous man cares for his animals. Amen? Amen. Righteous, we take care of them, we're kind to them, you know, all of that. But there there will come a time during the Great Tribulation where they're going to turn. And it's tragic, isn't it? It's a consequence of man's sin that's going to take place. So the ultimate truth is that hell is far worse, still in darkness, still in extreme heat, torment and suffering, desiring to die, being unable to, but what makes it far worse is it's too late to change it. See, during this time of the tribulation, it was, people could still cry out to God and be saved. God gave them a, a, was going to give them a, this is what hell is like, but you don't have to go there. And, guys, I pray that we don't have to come to that place before we recognize that we are sinners in need of a Savior and we surrender our life to Jesus. Amen? Amen. The Lord loves you so much, He'd rather die than live without you. And during the great tribulation, many will get saved. But again, those that are in hell will be too late to turn back to the Lord. It's important to note that the power is given to death and Hades. And the power was given by God. Though all hell is breaking loose on earth, God is still in control. And he is the one who holds the scroll and opens the seals. And and as we talked about from the beginning of the book, this is unveiling the person of Christ. Again, he's loving, gracious, and merciful, who desires that none should perish. But he's also holy. And because he is holy, he cannot have sin in his presence, and sin must be judged. But again, he will do everything he can to help us escape that judgment, but he will never force it on us. Again, the Bible says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be be saved. Confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. Without this book, we have a shrouded view of our Savior. There's a time coming when he will have to deal with sin. By the way, Jesus, we celebrate at Christmas the baby in a manger, but he's not a baby in a manger anymore. Amen? Good Friday service this coming Thursday. I encourage you to come. We're going to look at the cross of Calvary. Jesus died on the cross, the cross, greatest act of love in all of human history, but Jesus is not hanging on the cross anymore. Amen? Uh, those of you who go to Israel with us, the end of the tour, we go into the tomb. And guess what? It's empty. He's not in the tomb either. Amen. Where is he? He's seated at the right hand of the father, making intercession for us. We saw that picture of him with eyes, like the flames of fire, right? That's our God. He's all knowing, almighty, all powerful. And if God is for us, who can be against us? But guys, if you don't know him, I pray that today's the day of salvation that you'd surrender your life to him. Cause guys in eternity, that's all that's going to matter. What have you done with God's Son? Jesus is in heaven, and while He bears the scars of crucifixion, He is clothed with a garment down to His feet. He's girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and His hair are white like wool. I like that. And white as snow. His eyes are like the flame of fire. "'His feet like fine brass, and if refined in the furnace, "'His voice is as the sound of rushing waters. "'He has in His right hand seven stars, "'and out of His mouth comes a two-edged sword. "'His countenance is like the sun shining in its strength, "'and even those who are closest to Him "'fall over like dead men when they're in His presence.'" That's our God. "'If we know Him, we need not be afraid. "'He's the first and the last. "'He was dead, but now He lives.'" He's alive forevermore. He holds the keys to death and hell. He knows everything about the bride of Christ. He encourages us when we're faithful. He exhorts us when we're slothful. He rebukes us whenever we are disobedient. And all of heaven sings his praises, praising him for his godly attributes and his character, his holiness. He's the creator. That he alone is worthy because He redeemed us back to the Father by His blood to take the scroll, the title deed of earth. He is the Lamb, worthy to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. He is the one who is in control. As the world is being righteously judged, He is righteously, again, as He must righteously judge sin, He is graciously giving rebellious and hard of hearted people an opportunity to repent. Jesus, a righteous judge who suffers long, who continues to reach out to a lost in a dying world, but he will not suffer always. Guys, everyone's here today, but none by chance, all by divine appointment. And my prayer is if you, if you don't know the Lord, you won't leave here without him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We're prepared now for this time of communion, remembering the greatest act of love in all of human history. Lord, I thank you for everyone who's here today, none by chance, all by divine appointment. And Lord, I pray for anybody here that doesn't know you that today would be the day of salvation. If that's you here, you're here today and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. You may have been going to church a long time. You may, you may know about God, but you don't have an intimate relationship with God. You don't have the promise, the, uh, the assurance of heaven. I'm going to give you an opportunity to surrender your life to the Lord right now, to confess him before men. And again, I'm not asking you to join a church. We don't want anything from you. We just wanna give you the opportunity to know the Lord that we know. And so if that's your desire this morning, if you've never given your life to the Lord, or maybe you prayed a prayer a long time ago, but your life never changed, the word says we need to repent. Repent literally means to change your mind, to turn around. You're headed in this direction, then you give your life to the Lord and you turn back and surrender your life to him. If you're here this morning and, you're, and you need to give your life to the Lord, you wanna know for sure you have the promise of eternal life. You don't wanna just make him the savior, but the Lord of your life. If you're ready to surrender your life to him, I want you to raise your hand right where you are so I can pray with you. Anybody at all. Don't leave here without him. God bless you. God bless you. Anybody else? God bless you. God bless you. Anybody else? Don't leave here without him. He loves you so much, he'd rather die than live without you. You know what? We love you too. We don't want to see anybody spend eternity separated from God. He brought you here this morning for this reason. Anybody else? The Lord loves you. For those of you that raised your hand, just pray this with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you this morning and I confess that I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus Christ is God, that he died on the cross and he rose from the dead. Lord, please forgive me. Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to walk with you. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen.